It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And of course, you can take us with you anywhere you go if you download the iHeartRadio app. Punch in our coordinates. Like I said, take us with you anywhere you go. And we'd also like to welcome those people that now listen to Moment of Truth on other radio stations. We welcome you. And also, if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform and or on our SoundCloud. And it is a pleasure to welcome to the show. I have with me Trina Mather Simard, and she is the executive director of the Summer Solstice Indigenous Festival and also the Summer Solstice Indigenous Music Awards, which are going to be held on June 12th live from the National Arts Centre in Ottawa, and we're going to be talking to her about the awards, but also the just announced, just momentarily ago, the announcements were made for the nominees for the music festival. So it is a pleasure to have Trina with me here on the show. Trina, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's great. So we just saw the awards, of course, uh, or the at least the nominees... Nominees announced for the awards that are going to be taking place on June 12th. And, of course, the host that will be also on the show at that time, Serene Fox, was doing the announcing live from your Facebook. Yes, absolutely. So we're so excited to, uh, to share our nominees. It's, uh, you know, been through the review process with our jury. And we're just so excited to share all those talented artists from across Canada. Now, there were a number of awards. Are you, can you just roughly give us an idea of how many awards uh, areas there are that artists are nominated in? Absolutely. We have 18 categories. Uh, so we've really tried to, you know, include many of the standard music awards, the different genres, uh, pay homage to our diversity of cultures with Métis and Inuit awards. And really incorporate some that we felt were very reflective of our community values with social voice, uh, honoring our youth and, uh, you know, rising up those young leaders. So uh, it's, a, it's 18 categories that are kind of a combination of those elements. Right. And I wouldn't mind sort of looking a little more closely at some of those. But you mentioned one that I thought was really interesting, and that was the, uh, the um, uh, social voice. And there's also the youth leadership one, which I thought was really interesting. Yes, when when we were first looking at putting this together, so we originally intended to launch uh, the awards in 2020. And although our festival went on, we thought it wasn't the right climate to, you know, really truly have a celebration of these artists. Uh, So we postponed to 2021. But when we were first developing the awards concept with our committee and our artistic leaders who are uh, Vince Fontaine and Elaine Bomberry, you know, we wanted to find some other ways to celebrate artists and, and their accomplishments. And uh, so we really thought, you know, so many artists, um, you know, lift up our community's voice through their music. And so we thought that that social voice uh, was a really important part of uh, what we wanted to celebrate. But and, and the youth leadership, tell me more about that one. Yes. And again, you know, I think that 
you know, music can play such an important role in our community. And, you know, there's artists that are working with youth and, you know, sharing music and developing talent and, you know, it may not result in, you know, a recording or something, but they're, they have an impact on the youth through music. And so we wanted to find a way to celebrate those, those artists as well. And now I also heard uh, Serene mention this. This is the inaugural, the first ever, because you, like you said, it was supposed to be last year, but uh, COVID got in the way. Absolutely. So we had uh, planned, we had released and started accepting, uh, you know, nominations uh, prior to having to uh, decide to postpone the 2021. So it is our very first celebration. Uh, we're hosting it at the National Arts Centre, who was a, a partner uh, when we hoped to be live <laughs> both last year and this year, that we uh, hoped to have a live audience at the National Arts Centre. Uh, at this point, we are looking more to be broadcasting from the NAC and, and welcoming everybody to join us there live next year. But uh, yeah, we have had to, you know, uh, pivot and, and adjust the celebration, but, you know, still really looking to welcome everybody from across Canada to that, uh, to the awards and the celebration. And, you know, there really are some very exciting artists that are coming up within the Indigenous community right across uh, Canada, Turtle Island. There's some great names that were mentioned in those nominees that we heard today. There really was. And I found, uh, you know, I tried personally as hard as it was to, uh, you know, not peek too much <laughs> during the uh, the process of the jury review. And uh, so, you know, I was surprised with the names when we when we got the uh tabulation back and I just thought it was such a great mix of you know some real leading voices and artists in our community that have made a big impact and you know some names that we're maybe not as familiar with whose you know music really spoke to the jury and so I thought it was a great mix of that emerging and uh, an established artist and you know just mm. a great diversity of, of talent. Right now you mentioned 18 categories so th- over 250 submissions, I believe. That's correct. Yeah, we had over 250 submissions from all across Canada. So, uh, you know, we've narrowed it down. There's between three and five nominations that it's been narrowed down to in each category. Now, looking back a year to when you first wanted to bring the awards and bring the festival forward in 2020, that, of course, as you say, was postponed because of covid Uh, Mm -hmm. gave you an extra year to look at this and to, I guess, think things through and plan. So how, I guess you were initially, everybody was probably a little disappointed, I'm sure. But looking forward now and coming to fruition for you at this point, how would you say things have have either changed and, and were there any surprises for you? Has there been any positives to come out of this situation with COVID? So, you know, I think looking at our festival as a whole with the summer solstice, uh, you know, we decided to pivot to a virtual festival and event last April. So, you know, very short time frame after uh, the COVID restrictions. And, you know, we produced a 21 day festival starting on June 1st. So it was uh, a very uh, fast turnaround for us and really, you know, limited knowledge on on some of the tech, we learned a lot through the process, I would say. And, uh, you know, we really didn't know what kind of audience we would reach. We see mm. 50,000 people at our live event here in Ottawa. And, uh, you know, at the end of the festival last year, we had over 527,000 people tune into our programming over the 21 days. So 
uh, you know, the positive to come from it is that we've really just, you know, our audience blew up across uh, North America and we had really, you know, new engaged audience. And I'm, I'm, I'm very hopeful and confident that that will transfer to the uh, SEMAs to our awards and, you know, just create a, a large diverse audience for, for our artists that maybe would have not been able to attend had we been able to go live at the national arts center as we hoped, uh, you know, it's definitely made this virtual, you know, broadcast component uh, an important part of what we do. And mm-hmm. it's really expanded our audience and reach. So, you know, we're quite uh, confident that will help, uh, you know, create that new audience link for the artists as well. Now, as you say, this is going to go from uh, June 1st to June 21st. Yes. So obviously there's more than the awards happening. What else is going to be going on? Yes, absolutely. So we go June 1st to 21st. We have, uh, there's a virtual marketplace that's currently uh, open on our site as well. So, you know, I think an important uh, part of our community that's really impacted by the closure of the events is our vendors and artisans that uh, we have 75 normally involved in summer solstice. So, you know, we've curated a number of their goods and we're helping to uh, sell and, and distribute it. Um, and in that marketplace, we've now added all of our, um, you can pre-register for either craft or culinary workshops. So uh, with your registration, a kid is sent home. For example, we're doing a curried caribou meal with Chef uh, Trudy Metcalf Co. Uh, and when you register the kit with uh, the caribou and all the ingredients will arrive at home uh, in Ottawa. Uh, we are extending our delivery uh, for the culinary on our final weekend to the GTA and Manitoulin regions as well. Um, and it's the same with our craft kits. So our artists have all little go, go online and do the tutorial and teachings and that about the art and the kit of materials will arrive home and you can participate. And, and we have a outstanding live music showcase as well on our final weekend that we're um, it's premiering as part of the International Indigenous Music Summit. Uh, and then we're doing the public premiere on the final weekend of our event. So we're really excited by that. 16 uh, artist showcases. Um, and it gives a little background, like a, a background and story on the artist in addition to their live performance. So, you know, again, something easier to accomplish in a, in a virtual sense. And we have a competition powwow on our final weekend. Uh, so we're excited uh, drums and dancers from all across North America. We're partnering with Social Distance Powwow in uh, the U.S. who uh, created a great uh, outlet for, uh, you know, keeping connected during this time. And, uh, and then we have a couple of live drive-in events. So, uh, you know, hopefully if restrictions uh, open just a tiny bit out of the stay at home. We have uh, an opening uh, drive-in movie night planned and then a closing drive-in concert on June 21st. So lots of uh, stuff happening over the month. Uh, You mentioned quite a bit of stuff there. Uh, The culinary aspect of this, the live, the powwow competition, the music, uh, the music events Um, with those, those profiles and the artists that are going to be represented. Is that a live kind of thing or are they, are the artists sending pre-taped things in? How's that working? Yeah, we're typically, a couple of them are live um, and we leave that to the artist. You know, a couple of artists are more comfortable delivering live where it doesn't exist on the, I think we're all, Mm. uh, you know, exploring ways to continue our careers and that online. So that is a preference of some artists. Uh, Most of it is pre-recorded and sent to us and then we, we publish it live 
uh, at the scheduled time. We always invite our artists to. So I think that's a bit of an interesting experience. Uh, last year when we did our live music programming, we always make sure the artists join us for the live. And so they're chatting with everybody during the show. And I think, you know, getting to watch themselves and <laughs> interact with the audience in a different way. Right. So, you know, we try to keep it as interactive as we can. Yeah, that sounds great. Now, the other thing that I really sounds sounds interesting is that culinary uh, class that you can participate in. Yeah, you you register, you get this this kit sent to you of the meal, and then you yes. go online with the chef and you're making the meal with them. That's a really interesting way to try and incorporate something that otherwise would be kind of difficult to do, right? For this. Yeah, that that was really our biggest challenge last year as I took every single programming element we did and I thought, how can we still do this online? And, uh, you know, culinary is a big part of what we do at Summer Solstice and we've done big long table feasts mm. and all that kind of stuff. So when we created those boxes, we were really excited and right. it's you know, it provides a traditional meal for a family at home when they're, you know, not getting to their community events and feasts and, uh, you know, just a great way to learn how to, you know, curry caribou and, <laughs> you know, we're making homemade fish tacos, right. uh, you know, creating your own corn shells. We have um, like a seared venison rack. So there's just some really great options. And, uh, you know, you get to learn from some of the best indigenous chefs yeah. and, you know, have some traditional food at home. And there's less cleanup. <laughs> yeah, it is. It comes, it's kind of like those, you know, pre-made meal boxes where right. all your supplies are there. So <laughs> you're not opening I, up everything. I was just thinking of the live event where you have all these people to <laughs> gotta clean up afterwards. Yeah, oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so the, the, there's other things though, the marketplace, can you, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes. Yeah, so last year when we were first, uh, moving to the virtual platform, uh, our first thought was to reach out and kind of create a space and drive, uh, you know, some of our visitors to the individual vendors to purchase. Uh, and we quickly realized that, you know, there's such small micro businesses, that a lot of them didn't have any e-commerce, you know, ability or anything set up. And so we started working with uh, Go For It, who are an indigenous owned courier company here in Ottawa. And they were able to do, they're kind of like our fulfillment, uh, you know, I won't use the Amazon, but, uh, you know, they store all of our vendors items and distribute it. It's like next day delivery if it's in Ottawa, but they can ship across Canada and so it just really, I think, took a lot of the pressure off of a lot of our vendors. You know, they send in new inventory when it's ready and we put it on a Shopify and uh, sell and distribute for them. So we have over 40 different uh, artists now, mostly from Ontario, as we get support from Indig uh, Indigenous Tourism Ontario. And, you know, really, there's everything from sealskin earrings mm -hmm. to carvings and paintings to bags of corn soup that you can make at home. So it's, uh, you know, a lot of great products. Wonderful. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. That's 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And this is Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. My guest is Trina Mathers. 
Simard, and she is the executive director of the Summer Solstice Indigenous Festival and Summer Solstice Indigenous Music Awards, which are happening on June 12th. The Summer Indigenous Festival itself is happening from June 1st to June 21st, and we're talking with Trina about all the things that are happening. They just announced the nominees, and you can actually find out more uh, about that by going to uh, the Summer Solstice uh, Indigenous Festival Music Awards. Uh, you can go to their their uh, Facebook. You can also go to their website. What would you say, uh, Trina, is the best way to to get to your uh, get get to that information? Yes, I would say you could either uh, go to our Facebook for the Summer Solstice Festivals or to our website, summersolsticefestivals.ca. And I did want to give a shout out. We also announced today our new presenting sponsor, which is making the awards possible, and that's uh, TD Bank. So we're, we're really excited they came on board and helped to bring this vision to life. Great. And also, if you go to the Element FM website, uh, our website, you can find out more. We'll have links to that information as well. Now, uh, we're talking, as I said to Trina, about some of the things that are happening. We've talked about uh, the marketplace. We talked about the culinary workshops that people can participate in. Um, Trina, creation creation workshops. Yeah, so those are artist-based uh, workshops where people can create, just like our culinary boxes, create the uh, art or craft at home. Uh, we've tried to add three this year uh, where you can find your own supplies, if you have some painting or sketching supplies. So we tried to make sure that at least three of them were uh, accessible without cost. Um, and we're doing a paint night with Simon Brockape. Uh, We're drawing sea creatures with an Inuit artist, Heather Campbell. Mm. Uh, We're doing floral beadwork kind of style painting on drums with uh, Métis artist, Jamie Morse. And that's because earlier in our programming, you can create your own hand drum with a package with uh, David Finkel. Uh, We're doing seal skin keychains, and we're also doing uh, small uh, paddles that you can paint in your own Algonquin uh, styles. And so each of the workshops gives a lot of the, you know, teachings and artist background, and then you can kind of make your own piece uh, at home. So again, it's kits that can be uh, sent home to you. Nice. And And uh, also education days. That sounds really interesting. Yes. Uh, And it's funny, last year when we started in 2020 was probably the one that I was most concerned about. I have two school age children and I know, you know, they were just switching to the the virtual programming. And, you know, so we put it out there because it's always been an important part of our festival. Wasn't really sure how many teachers and kids would engage. Um, you know, we had 16,000 students and teachers register from across Canada. And I think the final viewership by the end of June was more like 100,000. So, you know, and it was just great. It was, again, we did pre-recorded videos, but the artists came on or the traditional teacher came on at the end and the kids were asking questions through chat and they really got a chance to, you know, just ask about life in the North or, you know, what it's like, you know, being in an urban environment, indigenous and, you know, just really great engagement plus the program. So, you know, it's uh, again, something that's hard to accomplish when we're live, we have 5,000 kids there that day. (laughs) So, you know, it's large groups and they're kind of moving from program to program. So it gave a little more personal element, which was nice. 
Nice. And uh, the numbers are unbelievable that you've been pulling in. Wow. I, I It honestly blew us away. We had, you know, it's funny because when I had to re-pitch the programming to our supporters, you know, <laughs> we have great sponsors and great uh, funding partners that all believed in the vision and continued uh, to support us. So, you know, and we were giving them numbers based on our live event and we thought we'd be really happy if we reached that. So, you know, we really didn't know what to expect last year. Yeah. And you were thrown around that number of over 500,000 earlier in the show as well. Yeah. So we did. Yeah. Combined with all of our different programming elements was over 527,000 uh, engagements. So, you know, each program, like our, our main core programming, like our celebration stage and education day, our powwow and our, um, you know, cultural arts and culinary, they each got, you know, 80 to 100,000 viewers participating and lots of engagement uh, through social media. So, yeah, went, uh, the virtual event went very well for us. Yeah. Now, on June 12th, when the uh, Music Awards are announced... Uh, from the oh, National yeah. Arts Centre with uh, your host, uh, which will be Serene Fox. How is that? Uh, how how is that going to work in terms of uh, of the artists? Yes, we uh, we've been working hard. You know, it's always a priority for me to have things as interactive as and engaging as we can, as close to our live event as sure. possible. So, we've actually got some really great ideas in our production team on working. Uh, you know, ways that our artists are going to be live with us and be able to accept their awards live, even though we're virtual. And so, you know, we've really got some uh, a great uh, technical team that's uh, making that happen. So we had hoped, in addition to being here in Ottawa, we had planned watch parties across Canada where we wanted to, you know, gather as many people as were allowed in those regions. But uh it, it's even more challenging now than it was a few months ago when we mm. were planning, of course. So, uh, you know, we're, we're always trying to find new ways to make it as live as we can. So, right. uh, yeah, the team's got some great ideas. And uh, tell me more about your host, Serene Fox. What do you can tell us about her? Yes, absolutely. We're actually going to have two hosts. Okay. So uh, she's the first announced. And so we asked her to, uh, to do that nominee announcement. Um, and last year, uh, when we announced that we were doing the awards, I was attending uh, the International Indigenous Music Summit, who we're partners with this year, who are also running uh, from the National Arts Centre the same week. And uh, when we were down there, I just, you know, uh, uh, Vince and I had thought that she would just be such a perfect host. And she's, you know, passionate about our community voice and, you know, mm. uh, uh, passionate about music. And so, yeah, we were really excited. Uh, so we had invited her last year to host. And then uh, when we had to postpone it this year, we were really excited that the dates still worked. <laughs> great. That's fabulous. And she's got, she had those great earrings on today, right? We were talking about <laughs> I know. Because she's always, she's always got, uh, she has such a great sense of style. It's uh, incredible. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're just about finishing up. I'm just wondering what else can you tell us that we might want to anticipate uh, with bated breath about the upcoming event? <laughs> so one thing I will share for our Ottawa audience, okay. uh, you know, as unfortunately we're only able to do this locally, yep. uh, but we are shortly announcing uh, a gala in a box. So uh, for all those culinary enthusiasts who may not uh, want to prepare it themselves, it is an Indigenous chef prepared 
uh, celebratory box that'll come out so you can enjoy a, a wonderful meal while you're watching uh, the awards from home. So uh, that will be released shortly. And it's uh, it's a really exciting menu and some really fun uh, swag and, and that in the box. And uh, other than that, nothing really to, other than to say, you know, we're just so you know, grateful to the artists for their participation and, you know, so incredibly grateful to our sponsors and partners. Um, again, as I mentioned, TD came on recently as our first presenting sponsor mm. and is really allowing us to, you know, uh, foresee in our vision for, for these awards and Ottawa Tourism, uh, you know, and other partners have all come forward to, to help support and make it happen. So that's, yeah, uh, that's all I really have to add. Um, that's great. It's all, of course, very exciting. And uh, we wish you all the best. I guess in some ways you're happy that it's coming down to the to the final wire here when you're finally going to be going live. It's getting close. <laughs> it is getting close. Yes. It'd be nice to have a little bit of, uh, you know, firm direction on what our province is going to look like uh, June 12th. But, uh, you know, we've got plan A, B and C lined up to make it a great awards night. So, uh, yeah, we're very excited to, to actually uh, see the results and get to celebrate this talent. And, and I think that's really exciting that you have that little bit of a culinary thing going on in the Ottawa area for those people that are going to watch that they can uh, get that uh, celebratory dinner uh, feast that you were talking about for that area. And, and, you know, that makes me think that would be the one thing, I guess, trying to pull a meal together and do it on a large scale. Uh, that obviously would be difficult because you've got to get the ingredients, you've got to get the people that know, especially with uh, indigenous uh, culinary stuff, to to be able to pull that together and then be able to get it out uh, delivered to the people that want to have it as well. Yeah, it uh, you know it all comes down to our key partnerships. Uh, you know the chefs that we work with, and actually the chef for that night, uh, Trudy Metcalf Cole. Uh, she's uh, an Inuit chef and has worked with us on some really large events. We did uh, a massive traditional feast with the Museum of History uh, that she helped uh, to deliver, I think, three or 400 people we did for long table meals there. Mm. And, uh, you know, and then we have the great partnership with Go For It, who does our local courier delivery and uh, always love to support Indigenous business and uh, their fulfillment just, you know, eases everything for us for the kits and these, uh, they do our, uh, our meal delivery as well. So. Right. Well, Trina, our time is just about up. I just would, wouldn't mind if you uh, could mention the uh, sites again where people can go to uh, hear those uh, those announcements for the nominees that are coming up on June 12th, once again, for your Summer Solstice Indigenous Music Awards Festival, live from the National Arts Centre, and, uh, and also just to, to find out more about the Summer Solstice Indigenous Festival itself. Absolutely. We would love uh, people to join us. Our website is summersolsticefestivals.ca mm -hmm. and uh, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram under uh, the Summer Solstice Festivals, Ottawa Summer Solstice. And, uh, you know, we would love to have everyone, uh, even more people join in and participate this year. Yeah, sounds great. What a, what, I mean, after those numbers you were throwing around, uh, uh, wow. Um, I get, uh, yeah, well, wonderful. That's so wonderful. And it sounds so exciting. <laughs> sounds so exciting. And uh, we want to wish, uh, of course, all the artists uh, the best uh, as they uh, as they go forward to the to the awards coming up on the 12th and the Summer Solstice Indigenous Festival. 
runs from June 1st to June 21st. So each and every day, there's stuff to do online. So it's been a real pleasure speaking with you, Trina. I want to thank you for taking the time, uh, Chimiguetch, for joining us to talk about the Summer Solstice Indigenous Festival and the Music Awards. Thank you so much for having me, Miigwech. All right. You take care, and uh, I look forward to doing this again with you in the future. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. That is the, the voice of Trina Mather-Simard, and she is the Executive Director of the Summer Solstice Indigenous Festival and Music Awards, which we have been talking about from June 1st to June 21st. You can find out more, as she mentioned, going to summersolsticefestivals.ca. You can also follow them online on uh, Twitter and uh, Facebook. And uh, don't forget, the Music Awards being announced June 12th, live from the National Arts Centre. It's been such a pleasure having Trina on the show to talk about this inaugural. It's the first time it was supposed to happen last year. didn't get to happen happening this year. And that is this part of the show. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, David Moses. Stay tuned. We're coming back with more right after this break, right here on Element FM and Moment of Truth. Now back to Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM. Welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. And of course, you can listen on the iHeartRadio app and take us with you anywhere you go. And it is a pleasure to welcome to the show... Courtney Montour, and she's here to talk about a film that she has completed, and it is uh, making its world premiere at Hot Docs, so you can see that right now, up until May 9th, if you go onto the Hot Docs film website, you can find out about how, how to get tickets, and perhaps Courtney can tell you a little bit about that as well as we get into the conversation, but if you're not familiar with the film that she has done, which is called Mary Two Acts Early... I Am Indian Again. It is a powerful story about Mary Tuax Early. And she is a Mohawk woman who fought for more than two decades to challenge sex discrimination against First Nations women, embedded in Canada's Indian Act, and became a key figure in Canada's women's rights movements. So it is a pleasure to have Courtney, the filmmaker, Montour, on the show with us here today. So, Courtney, welcome to the show. Sago and welcome. Yeah, and y'all are ha- for having me, David. It's my pleasure. So your film, Mary Two Acts Early, I Am Indian Again, this documentary about Mary, she was instrumental in uh, in getting the Indian Act change, as we see in this film, which is a combination of live footage from the time when she was making presentations and going about doing things, but also about these wonderful reel-to-reel tapes that you have accessed and... Uh, we hear about we hear some of the, the the conversation and interviews that she did at the time, because when are when are we going back to what time? When did she start doing this? Uh, I mean, she started fighting for the rights of First Nations women um, around 1968. Yeah, 1968. So we're going back to that's hence why we have the reel to reels, and it's wonderful to hear some of those conversations. Um, and she's from Ghanawagi, and I understand you are also from Ghanawagi. Yes, yes, I am, and that's why it's so important to me um, to bring Mary's story to film. It's the first movie that's ever been made on Mary, and you know she's from Gunawage. I'm from Gunawage. I've always grown up knowing her name, and 
there's sometimes, you know, information in chapters and books and um, her name will be mentioned somewhere, but there's just not enough out there mm-hmm. about Mary Tuax early and about these First Nations women who, you know, changed the law, who challenged Canada, who took on this country for two decades to yeah. fight for rights for First Nations women. Um, their stories, their names need to be known. They sure do. So it's wonderful that you uh, brought this film together and and put it together to honor her. And it's interesting, though, I noticed that you you said you grew up not far from her in Ganawage, and yet you never met her. Mm -hmm. Yes, and it's one of those things, you know, looking back, especially after spending all the time listening to these Mm. these beautiful um, audio recordings Mm. and you know, more than ever, you know, before I knew her name, knew of the accomplishments, but now I feel like I've had, I've had the chance to spend so much time with her Mm. that I miss her now. Mm. And she feels like my grandmother. And I, I really wish that I had the chance to meet her. Um, You know, I mean, it's just the reality of of age difference. I I was 14 years old when, when she passed away Mm. in 1996. Right. Um, so there wasn't necessarily, you know, a reason why our paths would have crossed. Right. And yet, Ganawage is not a, a huge community, right? It's not that big of a community. I mean, it's, it's big enough. I mean, there's, you know, roughly 6,000 plus people living mm. in the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no, I understand. I get it. I get it. Uh, absolutely. Um, now, how did how did this story become of interest to you? When did you become aware of it, or or you know how did it how did it start to become a, of interest that you wanted to do something on this? I mean, Mary has just always been one of my heroes. I can't remember the first time that that you know I remember hearing her name. It just it seems like she's always had a presence mm. um, because the fight for. First Nations women's rights and sex discrimination, sex discrimination in the Indian Act has been ongoing, you know, for so, so long. Mm -hmm. And in in the news, her name is always attached to it as as being one of the one of the leaders in the movement. And because she's from my community. So I I always knew her name (laughs) growing up. And to me, her work was is so important to me um you know i'm fortunate you know to be a filmmaker and i get to travel across the country and no matter which community i go to um i always end up speaking with people and they share stories of how mary's work has impacted them how these laws have impacted them how they have family members or friends who have been disconnected um, and forced to leave their communities because of these Canadian government laws in the Indian Act. So it's it's felt and it's a lived ongoing experience that that trauma is, is there. And I just, you know, can't understand how, you know, the, the hardships of being disconnected from your community and then having to make those connections and relearn who you are and where you come from mm-hmm. because the Canadian government tried to separate us. 
Right. Now, and and for people that aren't familiar with Mary 2X early, the whole the whole reason this became an issue was because Mary married a non-indigenous man, is that correct? Right. And That's when she correct. and when she and married a non-indigenous man, she lost her First Nation status under the Indian Act which says if, if a woman married a non-indigenous person, they lost that status. That, that is correct. The, the Canadian government decides, you know, who is Indian, because mm. that's the word that they use, yes. who is Indian under the Indian Act, so who has status, right. so who is officially recognized as First Nations, and that's the Canadian government that decides this, yes. and it's rooted in, in sexist discrimination. Mm-hmm. Because the opposite is true, I believe, that if a if a, a an Indigenous man were to marry a non-Indigenous woman, they would then gain status. Is that correct? Right. And so that that no longer happens, but that was that was the law. And so that's what Mary and all of these women were were working towards to to eliminate this. And the the first step came in 1985 with Bill C-31. That was the first change, um, finally recognizing that that there is this discrimination in the Indian Act against mm-hmm. First Nations women. Mm-hmm. So it was a start, but it's it's ongoing because there are still sexist determinations of who is Indian by Canada. This is controlled by mm. Canada. Mm. They decide who's Indian and who isn't. Right. And it's it, it plays out today in people's lives because there's still thousands of First Nations women who are not recognized by the federal government. There ca- there's cases, many many cases still in the courts. And the the recent um, the recent national inquiry on missing, murdered Indigenous women and girls. The report stated that sex discrimination is the root cause of missing and murdered Indigenous women, and that it's a genocidal act. But yet, it's ongoing. Yeah. Canada isn't properly acknowledging this. And that's why it's so important to have a movie like this on Mary Twax early to celebrate her, celebrate these accomplishments, and to understand the the work that our, our women have put in and that they're continuing mm-hmm. to do. Yeah, true enough. And when you think about the amount of work that she had to do, it must have been uh, overwhelming at times. You probably, you know, getting to hear these reel-to-reel tapes, and I'm sure there was much that you couldn't share just because of the time frame, et cetera, et cetera. And it must have been tough to for you to, to sift through those and, and decide what to uh, include in the film and what the, the you know, the, the story was that you, you wanted to tell in, in regard to that. But let's speaking of the real to real. How did you come across these? When did you become aware that they existed? Yeah. So basically, the 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 thread that that holds this documentary together is Mary's own voice and mm. these audio recordings. Mm. And these audio recordings were done by filmmaker Alan Iso Bombswin. And, you know, she she has been making films on indigenous issues for over, you know, 50 years in this country and has helped pave the way for so many, so many indigenous filmmakers. And she was actually um, mentoring 
um, me and another filmmaker from Gunawage, Roxanne Whitebean. Uh, we were doing a short film called Flat Rocks that was about the St. Lawrence Seaway and the destruction on our Gunawage community. Mm. And that was in 2017. And in that process of, of mentoring us, she mentioned to me uh, one day that she had, um, you know, sat with Mary in her Gunawage home at the kitchen table for several months and and did some audio recordings, just taped her speaking. And would I like to do anything with these recordings? Wow. <laughs> and of course, for me, I, I said yes. And <laughs> because this issue is so important. So like I said, I... I come across so many people who are still healing from this. Mm. Uh, and I feel like as a whole, um, you know, Canada doesn't know that much about this history or thinks that it's in the past mm-hmm. and it isn't. Mm-hmm. So it's so important to bring Mary's story to the screen. And so I said, yes, immediately. And that's what started the process of, of making the film. Mary's a woman that I've always honored and admired and now there's a chance to to make the film because of these audio recordings that must have been quite an honor for you to be offered those from Elanise and have the opportunity to gain access and listen to them it also must have been quite a process to sit down and listen to them all it it was it's it's I I, you know I I can't describe it. it I always knew of Mary's name, you know, for, for what she did, but, mm. but getting to sit down and listen to these audio recordings, it's such a, a personal experience. And I, I just truly, you know, fell in love and connected with Mary. And, and I say in the film that, you know, it, it feels like I'm listening to my grandmother and that's mm-hmm. how I feel about Mary. Um, by the time I got to the end of the tapes, I, you know, it was so emotional <laughs> that, that it was over and that I had this experience with her, um, but that this, this was the end of the tapes. Mm. So I think that's what's really special about the film is that the audience gets to spend half an hour with Mary. She's inviting them, you know, into her home around the kitchen table to share her story in her own voice. And I think for a lot of people, it's also going to be a reconnection and a revisit for those that haven't heard her voice in so, so long. Hmm. Has your community had the chance to see this film? They're going to be seeing it soon. So, (laughs) so far, everyone who has participated in the film has seen it. And that's something that I think is so important uh, in documentary films is for the participants to see the film. I mean, it's their voice and it's their story that, that is going out there. Um, so it's, it's important that, that they stand by what is in there. Um, mm. So they had that chance before the film was finished to see it. Mm-hmm. And the community as a whole um, will be having its first screening this week. Nice. So I'm really, really excited about that. Yeah. Uh, Again, it's it's just so important for our communities to see the work that is being done about them um, before it goes out there in the world. So that to me is so important. Right. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. 
And that, of course, is 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, or on the iHeartRadio app. And my guest here on Moment of Truth is Courtney Montour. We're talking to her about the film that she made, Mary Two Acts Early, I Am Indian Again. It is having its world premiere at the Hot Docs Film Festival. You can find out more by going to the Hot Docs Film Festival website and uh, find out about uh, getting tickets towards that. Courtney, I wanted to ask you also, you mentioned your your mentoring with uh, Elanisa Bomswin, and that must have been quite something in itself. What a great opportunity. Yes, yeah, I mean, that's, Elanisa is, is always uh, so dedicated to, to the filmmaking community, mm. and it's it's so appreciated. And with this film as well, um, you know, since, since she gifted me with, with these recordings, um, it was important for me to, to include her in the whole process. She was mm-hmm. always invited to, to every part of the process from mm. coming um, when we were filming to when we we're in the edit. Um, so I think that that was great to, mm-hmm. to have her be there supporting the project all along the way. Right. One of the things we see in the film when Mary is talking about this process, what do you think was the issue and the reason why beca- behind why the men in the community were throwing up obstacles for her? I mean, again, I think it's all rooted in the Indian Act. I mean, here is something the Canadian government created to control us. And it's an oppressive law that we've been under for you know, over a hundred years mm. and, and that affects our communities and, and those, those ideas come into our communities as well. So I think that, that plays, that plays a big role in it that I think people were worried maybe about what, what Mary's work uh, might do in terms of retaliation from Canada. Mm. The other thing that we, we get to see is one of the other founding members of this women's organization that Mary Two X Early was part of. But I guess the other sad part about that is that she passes away uh, prior to this film being completed. Yes. So what was really important to me was um, to make sure the, the film comes into the present day. For audiences who know nothing about the film, mm. um, I didn't want them to think, oh, you know, Mary did this great work and it's fixed. Right. It's, it's not, right. it's ongoing. And so part of that was speaking with, with a few people today. And, and one of, one of those people was Nellie Carlson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she, she's a Cree woman from was, who was living in the Edmonton area. And she is one of the, the co-founders of Indian rights for Indian women. So this kind of movement that Mary and these other women, you know, started, um, and to hear Nellie, you know, reflecting on on the struggles that they went through and, and on Mary's work, it was so important to include her voice. She was 90 years old at the time when, when I filmed with her in 2017. Mm. And at that time, I was doing research in Edmonton. Mm. And we so at that point we weren't even sure if you know if we were going to have funding to to make a movie these right. were the first steps sure but i had reached out and i spent several months speaking with nelly and her family and you know I, I just mentioned to the national film board that you know we 
when we go out to Edmonton, I, I need to spend time and, and film with her now. Mm. Uh, we can't wait around until, you know, we're ready to make the film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she may not be there at that time. Yeah. So fortunately, I was able to sit down with her and have a conversation. And, you know, we get to see Nellie. We get to hear her voice. And she's sharing, you know, such an incredible personal story mm. and and history and she unfortunately passed on um, this past September. And I just keep thinking it's so grateful to have her be a part of this film and that that knowledge carries on. Because if we wait too long to sit with our elders, that that history passes on with them. Right. And sadly, we also see her son is in the film. Uh, he's in that uh, the same room around the kitchen table that you were you're sitting there t- talking and, and interviewing, and he's part of this. And unfortunately, we also lose him, and that was earlier this year, correct? Yes, yes, it was. And again, I just you know I just keep thinking back about the timing of making this film and and how we were all able to gather together for it. Mm -hmm. And it was important for me to return to, to Mary's home in Gunawage where her, her daughter now lives to, to gather around that kitchen table and to listen to those audio recordings Mm -hmm. together. (laughs) I mean, it's that home is where this, this work started um, right around the you know the kitchen table, this this grassroots work, and and I I invited Ed to right. ask early her son to come join me, and I also invited um, Jody Callahu Stonehouse and her daughter Isabella, who both live in Edmonton, mm. and they're two people who have been impacted by Mary's work, but didn't know about Mary, don't necessarily know the history. Mm. And I think that's that's common because there's these archives and this information isn't out there. So it was gathering with several generations to really see how this impacts us and plays out today and to have Ed be a part of that conversation and to be able to, you know, talk about his mother. And and he shared, you know, so many of the same um, outlooks as his mom. And so it was beautiful to have him there. But unfortunately, again, yes, he, he passed away this, this year. So it's it's just really special to have have these voices yeah. be a part of the film. Yes, absolutely. It sounds like a, a very beautiful moment when you were sitting around listening to Mary's words uh, coming out of the room uh, where she sat around and voiced them originally in her home with her family members uh, with you there. And and a nice way to, like I say, to honor her. Speaking of honoring her legacy, and, and certainly sounds like you want to do that with her. How do you think that is something that should happen for Mary to be honored I mean, I think this this film is playing a big role in that mm-hmm. since it is the first film. Um, it, it took four years to make the film because there is so few archives out there mm. on Mary, on mm. Indian rights for Indian women, on the larger <laughs> women's movements that, mm. that worked on this. Right. And it's, it's really sad to see that this perhaps wasn't important. Um, to Canada to, to keep since they were so well, um, it was so well documented in the 20 plus years that they were, you know, fighting on this. So I think the film 
is, is one big step to help in honoring Mary. Um, for this film to be seen by our First Nations communities so they have a better understanding of, of the history and where this started from and to celebrate our First Nations women's accomplishments mm. because it doesn't happen often enough. So I think that's that's the honoring that can come from this and that for the general Canadian public to realize that this is ongoing. It's mm-hmm. not something of the past. Right. And now you know her name, Mary Tuax Early, hmm. and to go forward with that. Right. We do get to see uh, just to what level that this this was reaching because in some of the footage we see her sitting around with government officials and the prime minister at the time was there and a number i guess the 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 minister of indian affairs and and a number of other people so they were in the room and many of them were key figures that went on to uh to become either other other members of parliament and ministers and or uh, future prime ministers. That's right. That's right. I mean, again, the movie takes you through kind of this, this grassroots organizing around the kitchen table, but also to see that that's it. Mary was in, you know, she was in parliament. She was in Ottawa all the time. She was on the same level um, meeting with and working with Canadian politicians. Mm hmm. And, but, but if, when you see the movie and you see her and, you know, she really just feels like she could be your grandmother, <laughs> um, you know, she was very persistent and patient, but always true to herself, just, just very loving and compassionate in the way that she led. And that, that patience of having to work on this for over 20 years and to keep going to Ottawa and to, to speak to all these politicians. I mean, I hear the story. There's so many stories that I've heard that, you know, all these politicians just, you know, knew her by first name. Right. You know, it, it's really, uh, it is quite something when you describe her as your, you know, could be your grandmother. And that was the one thing I, I also that came across to me watching the film was she always spoke very respectfully and very uh, kindly, like you said, not aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and and approach these things w- without, you know, the heavy handed pounding tables or anything like that. It was very gentle in, in the way she, she did uh, try to get the, her points across. I think the one thing that did stand out to me that, that sounded a little bit aggressive to me was when she was being interviewed on the tapes and she said, we, we can't even be buried in our own community. And yet just up the street, there is a graveyard for dogs, non-Indigenous dogs, and they get to be buried there. We don't even count as much as dogs. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a very emotional moment that that's what she says, mm-hmm. you know, we're lower than a dog. Right. And that's, you know, that's the way First Nations women, you know, have been seen by Canada or... Mm. Or how, how that's how these laws impact us, right. that we don't have equal rights. Mm-hmm. And, and that story is one that she told time and time again over the years because mm-hmm. it was just so emblematic. Yeah. It left a lasting impression in people's minds when she was talking about these injustices. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
Wonderful speaking with you, Courtney, uh, and Chimi Guachinago for bringing this film forward, and we wish you all the best, and we certainly hope that it has great exposure at the Hot Docs uh, Film Festival. Up until May 9th, people can go on the website, uh, Hot Docs, to find out more about how they can see the film. And one more thing before you go, and that is, uh, once this has completed its run at Hot Docs, what are you hoping and where are you hoping to get this film so that it can get more exposure? I mean, for me... Everywhere. I mean, it's so important for this to be seen uh, on a community level, you know, Indigenous communities and non-Indigenous communities. So that that really is the next plan of how how do we get this film out? How do we make it accessible Mm. to communities? And uh, so that's what we'll be working on. And community screenings will begin in December of this year. Cool. That sounds great. Courtney, again, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us and talk to us about this very important film that you have had a hand in and making. And, and wow, uh, it's a great story that everyone, like you say, everyone should see. Uh, Mary Two Acts Early, I Am Indian Again. And it is on at and having its world premiere at the Hot Docs Film Festival up until May 9th. So it's on now. Please go check it out on the Hot Docs website. Get yourself a ticket. Mary Two Acts Early, I I am Indian again is the name of the film. Courtney, you go for taking part in our show and we wish you all the best in the future. Yeah, David. All right. Take care. Ona. Ona. Filmmaker Courtney Montour has been my guest here on the show. We've been talking to her about her film, Mary Two Acts Early, I Am Indian Again. It is on at the Hot Docs Film Festival, having its world premiere. Check it out online. I'm your host, David Moses. Thank you for listening to Moment of Truth each and every day right here on Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And we'll see you again tomorrow. This has been Moment of Truth with David Moses. Element. Element. Element FM.